Let me uh, take our time before the Lord as we enter into the scriptures. Well, Father, you truly are the everlasting God. You are our deliverer, our redeemer, our intercessor. And Father, we come before you today to, to bring our worship, our praise, to say we love you, Lord Jesus. Our hearts are drawn to you this morning. And would you minister to us through your Holy Spirit? Would your word speak to us? Would your spirit fall powerfully upon this body? In your precious name I pray. Amen. Let me tell you a story of a little boy who was at a local store and he ended up with his mother in the candy department. And there was a kindly gentleman who was in charge of the candy area, and there was a jar of suckers right there. He said, little boy, go ahead, reach in and grab a handful. And the little boy kind of cowered back behind his mother and, and didn't reach in and, and grab any. And so this wonderful gentleman reached in and grabbed him some and gave it to the boy. It wasn't typical of this little boy. It was typically very outgoing. And so when his mother and he got outside, she said, why didn't you reach in and and grab a handful of suckers when he offered it to you? And he looked up at his mom and he said, Mom, did you see the size of his hands? (laughs) And that's the character of God that Abraham is learning to trust in, that God's hands are so much bigger than anything we can reach for, than anything that we think we can attain, and that the character of our God is that he loves to grab a handful for us. And each of us in this journey of faith is learning that, as Abram did. And so as we look into Genesis 14 this morning, we're to see how Abram was learning to trust God, the giver of life, the one who fills us up, the one who keeps his promises, the one who is the deliverer, the one who is life. Now let me set the stage because what's going on is the kings are at war in chapter 14. And the reason that we didn't have a reader this morning is because uh, it's hard to read, (laughs) all these kings. And I didn't want to put anyone through the agony of that. I'm actually not going to read it myself. So God bless you and your time. (laughs) But what happened was, kings from the east are at war. Kedolomer is, is this powerful king who has kind of put a thumb on the people. And he's cut off and he owns the trade routes into Egypt. And so after 12 years of this, other kings, and one of the kings coming out of Sodom, they rebel. They're like, enough of this. We are going to fight against these kings. And so an incredible battle takes place. And it's very much the vision of of the Lord of the Rings and all the names of the kings and the places in Goam that they went and the different kings that happened. And as the kings come in rebellion, and again, one of them being out of Sodom, they retreat, and they're losing, and they they fall into these tar pits. 
Again, it's an incredible battle scene that takes place. But what happens in the end is that the key part is that Sodom is one of the kings who has to flee, and he gets out of there with his life. But in the meantime, Lot, who lived in Sodom, he is captured. He and his family and all of his belongings. And so as we enter into chapter 14 and we see the battle that rages on, it's important to take a look at the battle, but honestly it's not what the passage is really all about. The passage is about deliverance. The passage is about God entering in. The passage is about how's God going to use us to maybe be a rescuer of a fallen brother or sister. The passage is about how God fills us up right in the middle of the battle. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So word comes to Abraham, one escaped the battle and says, Listen, your nephew Lot has been captured. And you can wonder what Abraham was thinking. What was he going to do as he heard about his nephew? What was going to take place? He's living in peace. Last we found him under the oaks of Mamre, a place that he received refreshing from God, even though he got the lousy part of the land. And if you remember, he's learning to be content here, and we find that he built an altar to the Lord to worship in this place. And again, word comes out. And what will he do? Your relative is in the land. He's the one that chose to live in Sodom. As we saw in the scriptures, he would start, he looked toward Sodom, and then he started to pitch up his tent and, and move a little closer. And next thing you know, we find him living in Sodom. And then later on, he'll be one of the governors of Sodom. This is the selfish nephew, the one who looked up and chose the land for himself. This is the one who, again, felt like he deserved everything for himself to make him prosperous. He was the kid who took it all so that he would succeed. What would Abram do? And I think the question for you and for me is what would we do? What do we do when a family member comes and we find out they're in trouble? What do we do when we get a phone call of the situation? What's our view of that family member? How do we handle those calls that we receive? And I think what we're going to see is there's going to be a time now where Lot is going to be rescued by Abram who's learning to live in faith learning to trust God. And one of the things that we're going to see of Abram is that he is going to enter, have an encounter with a man called Melchizedek. That I think he is living out of the spirit of and that he begins to minister in the heartbeat of Melchizedek. And so I want to jump ahead just a little bit to show you this encounter. And it starts in verse 18 of chapter 14. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and again, the battle's taking place, okay? And he's walking through the king's valley. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. 
And he was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. One of the things that we're going to see as we study this story and this encounter with Melchizedek, who's quite a a unique fellow. We really, over the years, have tried to figure out who he was and what he's all about. But one of the things that I want to bring to the table in the beginning of this encounter is to share with you that I think the Melchizedek priesthood is a ministry to help those who face incredible times of trouble The Melchizedek priesthood is a ministry of intercession and a ministry of deliverance, a ministry that draws us closer to God, brings us out of the trappings of sin in this world. And even though Abram hasn't encountered Melchizedek just yet after the, as he goes into battle, I think he's living out the spirit of Melchizedek even before the encounter as he's dealing with issues of faith, of what do I do with my nephew Lot? What does it look like for me to enter in? And that we'll come to find in the spirit of Melchizedek that Mel's delivers. Mel's is a place that delivers and offers deliverance. He comes into our home. He comes to minister right where we are at. That is the spirit of the ministry of Melchizedek. And so Abraham, again, as he gets word, is going, what do I do? How do I respond? And how is God ministering to his heart? I've spent a lot of years in this church family, and over the years I've received several, actually many, calls from Aladdin Bell Bonds. And I received received the phone call, it's typically late at night. And they'll say, we have a client here who is in need of help. And every time that I get that phone call, I struggle with what to do. I struggle with whether or not I should step in and, and help this person who's in trouble. And I really wrestle with the Lord over, should I provide the funding so that they can get out of jail? Or do they need to stay in jail a little while? And it's an honest wrestle before the Lord. And I know that actually many of you have probably wrestled with the same questions. And I think Abram is wrestling with the same questions. What do I do as I receive this phone call of one who is struggling and in need of help? How do I understand their situation? What would be the most godly thing to do? Should I step in, Lord? But the one thing that we can't miss is asking the Lord where we should go on those situations. And I believe Abram is learning by faith to step in as he built this altar to God and going, God, what do I do? And so I think some of the questions that he wrestles with are really before the Lord. But some of the things that I don't see in this passage, and I thought maybe I would as you... As you know, again, that Lot pretty much took advantage of Abram. 
cheated him out of the land that was really his. And you wonder, you know, what Lot or Abram's response would be. And here's what he doesn't say. And it's interesting as the report comes. It comes to, it comes to Abram the Hebrew. Abram was a Hebrew, and it's the first time that we see this in the scriptures, the word Hebrew. And so it's not there unintentionally. It starts to show the character of who Abram is and who he's becoming. And who hopefully we're becoming as followers of Jesus Christ. Hebrew means one who is from beyond or one who is a wanderer, a passenger, a pilgrim. And that's truly who Abram was, right? He lived in obedience to God and and finally came to a place and he, he took up his tents and he went over to Mamre and he pitched his tent there, trusting God in obedience, even though he got the lousy land learning to live in contentment there, building an altar and worshiping God there at this place. And it not only speaks that he is one who is willing to take up stake and move wherever God calls him, which is true of our lives. We are aliens passing through, are we not? But that the people understood who he was. He's the Hebrew. He's different than us. He's not part of us or our culture. Those pagan worshipers, the Canaanites, all those in this land, he's not one of us. He's a Hebrew. He's one passing through. He doesn't identify with who we are. He identifies with God. He worships God, El Elyon. And so the people knew his character and who he was. And so here comes the phone call to the Hebrew. Your cousin, your nephew Lot, is in trouble. And what we don't see are these words. Well, am I my brother's keeper? I think because he knows full well that he is his brother's keeper. That God values every life. That we are to care for one another. Value each other. Of course I'm my brother's keeper. We don't see Abram rising up and say, well, Lot made his bed, let him sleep in it. That would be an easy response. And it was true. He chose Sin City. I didn't. He took advantage of the offer. Let him lie in it. Man, our flesh wants that, doesn't it? You kind of want payback to those who took advantage of you. Let them suffer the consequences. And we get very critical and judgmental of who they are. Did Abram say, well, I don't want to be an enabler? And trust me, that's probably the biggest one I wrestle with a lot. Will this continue to enable the person to keep going on in the sinful lifestyle if I rescue them out? That's a hard one, isn't it? If I enter into their life in the middle of this situation and pull them out, Will it just bring them right back to the same place and maybe even take them further down? But Abram didn't bring that argument. Did Abram say, well, this is too risky. My life's at peace here. This isn't my battle. He didn't offer that up. Now, trust me, I would assume, like you and me, he struggled with all those questions. Struggled with, God, do I really need to step in here? Here has come the call that my nephew's in trouble. Am I really the one that you want to 
enter in on this deal. And I know for each and every one of us, we struggle with that when we receive the phone call. And I don't take it lightly. Again, some have, this is their fifth time I've gotten a call from a lad in bail bonds. And so you go, Lord, what's the wisdom here? But here's what I think God is doing with Abram, and I think maybe what he's doing with you and me at times, to be sensitive to the Spirit. I can imagine as Abram's maybe even thinking in his mind some of these issues, like, you know what, this isn't fair, I already got the lousy land, he's got to deal with his own stuff. You can imagine our loving God coming along his side, saying, Abram, come here, hey, let's, let's watch this movie together. Sit down. And the video goes up. Hey, Abram, is that you? Yeah, it is. Look at that. There you are. Abram, is that me blessing you and making a covenant with you? You know what it is? Abram, is that me, the one telling you to go and and take the land and and I'm going to bless you? You're going to be fruitful. There's going to be all kinds of children going to come out. Go. Yeah, it is. This is a great video. Abram, is that you going down to Egypt? Going to a place where I didn't tell you to go? Wait, are you wandering into the land of Egypt when I've given you all of this? You know what? The closer I'm looking, that's you. Wait, Abram, is that you giving your wife to Pharaoh and calling her your sister and totally deceiving Pharaoh and lying and not trusting me? You know what? That looks like you. Abram, is that me coming down the path? Is that me putting plague on Pharaoh so that you can be delivered out of Egypt? Is that me coming with my arms wide open, saying, would you come home and come to a place of worship and trusting in me? Is that me, Abram? It is. I think the Spirit ministers to us that way. God, full of grace, when we think our nephew doesn't deserve it, God, full of grace, is pouring out. And again, trust me, I understand the difficult choices of whether or not to enter in or to rescue again. And I'm very serious when I say I don't take those lightly. But I think oftentimes we're too quick to say it's not my battle or they've made their own bed, let them lie in it. Instead of letting God minister to our spirits. And one thing I know of the Lord is that he tends to lean on the side of grace. Actually, he tends to just dive full body (laughs) into grace. And that maybe, maybe he's calling us to do the same. But would we be attentive to the Spirit and what he's asking us to bring to a fallen brother or sister, one who needs rescue, one who needs to be shown the way again? And he wrestled. He lived a life of obedience now, trusting in the tent and the altar as he worshiped, trusting in God. And he goes after one of these lost sheep of the Lord's. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, any sin, any enslavement, 
You who are spiritual, not you who are perfect, not you who've got it all together, but you who are holding on to the Lord and seeking to live in righteousness, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. When we know a brother or sister has fallen, has been enslaved, the call out of Galatians is to restore such a one. And we don't show up with this attitude of, hey, get it right. So show up with a spirit of gentleness. Show up with the spirit, period. Remember the fruit of the spirit? Peace and patience and kindness. Understanding of what's going on. But show up and restore. And again, go with eyes wide open, knowing that, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm still prone to sin. I don't want to show up not prepared and not understanding what's going on. Otherwise, I might be drawn into that. The other sin I might be drawn into is think I'm a better Christian or a better person as I come and restore you. Don't fall into that. Take a look at yourself, Galatians is saying to us. But step in. Restoration, deliverance calls for a faith that is bold and yet flavored with incredible humility. It's a risk, but it moves towards righteousness. Is God calling you to step in? Is God's spirit ministering to you that you might come alongside? And the thing I love about the story of Abram in this account is that he doesn't come in and just show up like, okay, I'll just do what I'm going to do. He's prepared. I have 318 mighty soldiers who will enter in and go into battle with me. It doesn't seem like many against the armies, but the best of the best soldiers. And also a sense of, I'm not going to go in unprepared to deal with this situation. That we come in full of prayer. That we come in full of humility. That we understand what's going on around. That we seek wisdom from others. We come in prepared to go into this battle. We dig into the Word to see what God has to say about this situation. We beg God in His Spirit to minister so that we know what to do. Because we don't want to get blindsided as we rescue in the power and in the ministry of Melchizedek, the intercessor, the deliverer, in the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. He goes into full battle with 318 soldiers, and he goes in not by might, not by power, but by your spirit is how we go into battle. If you come in trying to strong arm and thinking you're just going to make it change, Without the Spirit, you will fall short. There's a story of Howard Hendricks and how he was called upon by a woman who, uh, whose husband was a pastor. And she said, Howard, my, my husband uh, loves the Lord and he loves the ministry, but he is going 24-7. And he comes home and he's just physically exhausted and he doesn't, he doesn't have anything for us and, he, he is, and he's getting angry And it's just kind of controlling his life. And she goes, would you speak to him for me? Howard, who is, if you don't know, just a great trainer of godly men. 
out of Dallas. A guy who's discipled more people than we know. He says, I'll speak to your husband. So he shows up, and he sits down with the husband and just kind of has a lunch, and, and being very gentle and full of love, and he, he looks at the guy and he says, hey, do you smoke? The guy's all, no, I don't smoke. Well, how come? Well, I don't think it's good for my body, and I consider my body a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I just don't want to do damage to my body. Well, then how come you're so free in staying up all night and ministering to people and destroying your body with the ministry and destroying your family in the meantime? How come you feel so free to do that? And with a spirit of gentleness and grace, God's spirit ministered to that guy. And he realized, wow, I am destroying myself with my attempts to do for God. That's how we enter in, full of wisdom, like Nathan did with David. Hey, King David, let me give you a story about this guy. What would you do about this guy? Well, I think he should be taken out of the picture. You're the guy, David. Full of wisdom, bringing forth truth, not coming in with this, again, judgmental, critical spirit, but one that desires to rescue one that loves the person enough to say, I will enter in. And I think with each situation, we, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, truly, how do you want me to deal with this? And do you want to use me to enter into this mess? And I believe in the spirit of Melchizedek that God does use us to intercede, to step in, to enter into times of trouble. I believe he does use us to deliver. And one of the things we'll learn about Mel is that Mel's often delivers. And he delivers to places that no one else seems to do delivery. And he seems to use us to do it. To enter into situations that everybody else thinks is not going to work. And the thing is, we go, if God calls us, we go with an understanding that it's God who does the heart work. It's God who's going to be doing the transformation. You see, because a lot of times we go and we enter in and then the person's like, get out of my face. You're a jerk. I want nothing to do with you. And you're like, Lord, you told me to go. I took the step. Here I am. And now they're throwing it right back at me. That's because that's not your part. You don't change the heart of man. You go in obedience and bring truth and life and let God do the rest. Because oftentimes you're going to get that response that comes right back in your face. And so we let God minister. And so God used Abram to enter in and to rescue Lot, to step into his life. And let me remind you of the end of the story. Do you know what happened to Lot? You know, the Old Testament doesn't speak any more of Lot after the time of Genesis. And in the Old Testament. And we never know. We think we're left with a sense of Lot chose sin. Lot chose to live in Sodom. Lot chose to be separate from God. But for some reason, the writers of the New Testament got word from God about Lot. And this is what it says. The end of the story. Second Peter. And if he, if God 
rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard that righteous man, Lot, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. What? I love the end of the story because it shows that God continues to minister and continues to break into the hearts of man and that he truly is the one who looks right to the core. And for whatever reason, at one point, Lot surrendered, even though I think he was still struggling and he's tormented by that sin and his choices. But God had him. And God used Abraham to deliver, and I don't think Abram ever got to see the outcome. Righteous Lot. Who would have thought? That's our God. His hands are bigger and full of grace, more than we could ever give. So let's look back now at this story and this encounter with Melchizedek and an encounter also with the exiled king of Sodom. And what's happening is, as they show up, they've just won the battle. Abram has taken his enemies all the way north to Dan, and he's won this incredible victory. And now he comes back full of the the victory and the pride of victory, and he's coming through the king's valley, and he's going to encounter two kings. And first he encounters Melchizedek, Mel, and he will encounter the king of Sodom. But as we see the encounter with Melchizedek, you go, who is this guy? Where did he come from? He appears in this book in Genesis. He appears in Psalm 110 as King David speaks of the Messiah that is to come, who is made a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Then a thousand years rolls by, and we see in Hebrews chapter 7 this whole story of Melchizedek. And how he is like Christ and how he is a priest forever and how he's an intercessor and how he had no beginning and no end. And you're going, who is this guy? Some thought he was Shem. Some thought he was pre-incarnate Jesus that showed up. We don't know. But he's a character in the Bible that appears in the middle, again, of victory and brings bread and wine before Abram. He is the king of Salem, which means peace. He is the king of what is today Jerusalem. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. And so Abram, after his victory, walking through the valley of kings, encounters the king of peace and the king of righteousness, who brings him bread and wine to be filled up upon. Melchizedek, I believe, is a type, is a picture, is a foreshadowing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that God uses this priest to step into the life of Abram before he's going to face the king of Sodom to minister to him in a time that could be very troublesome. And he steps in and he ministers and he gives them them bread and he gives them wine. 
and he offers them life. And as Melchizedek ministers to Abram, Abram can do nothing but worship God in this place. And that is shown in that he gives a tenth of all that he has. This isn't about how to tithe. What it's saying is, I come to realize that everything I am and that everything I have comes from El Elyon, God Most High. That's who Melchizedek ministers to Abram. You worship El Elyon, God Most High. He is the one who gives you everything. And Abram's response of that is, I give it all back. It isn't mine. All of me and everything I have is yours, O God, here. Take it back. And he comes to a place of worship. And when he eats at Mel's place, he is filled up full of who God is, of El Elyon. And we all need to come to that place. And we especially need to come to that place when maybe we've had spiritual victory. And we think, wow, look what I have accomplished. Look what I have done in my strides towards God. And God reminds us through Melchizedek, it's all from him that you had this victory. And it all belongs to him. And your life is of the tent and the altar. So now bring worship to your God and thank him for who he is in your life. And so he leaves that place after worshiping and filled up to the full. And all of a sudden, out into the king's valley appears the king of Sodom. Isn't that typical of life? And now will come a choice. And here's what Sodom offers, one of the richest places in all of the world at the time. Hey, Abram, have I got a deal for you? You take all of the, of the rewards, all that you got from this battle, you take all the riches, just give me back the people. And Abram knew. Abram knew that this offer was a strategic alliance for Sodom. It's basically saying, you'll owe me someday, Abram. He's saying, if we make this agreement, you'll be tied to me. We will have an alliance. And what's Abram's response? And this is hard for us to do sometimes because we're afraid we're going to hurt somebody. Their feelings. He says, no way! I took an oath before my God, El Elyon. I will not take anything from you. I won't even take a sandal from you. He is not drawn into the temptation. Do you want to know why? Because he's filled up with God. We all have to eat at Mel's along this journey. Because Sodom, the king of Sodom, keeps jumping out at us. And a lot of times the offer feels very enticing. It's like, well, maybe this reward is an extra bonus from God for all my good work. He's saying, I take nothing from you. So that guess what, king of Sodom? You will never be able to claim... And nobody will ever be able to claim that this riches came from you because they came directly from God. And my God will be worshipped. El Elyon will be known, God Most High, that he is the supplier of all that I need. He will meet my needs. He knows my needs. He will be the one to provide. And I've already eaten at Mel's, and I am full. I need none of you. And I will not make this relationship happen. And he goes from that place in victory. 
filled up on what was brought in the ministry of Melchizedek and the worship of God, saying, Lord, I serve you, and I serve you alone. And I receive from you, and I receive from you alone. And your name will be glorified on all of this earth. This morning we are going to eat at Mel's, the bread and the wine. Gentlemen, come on up. And we're going to have communion together. And as we take communion, I want you to remember God, our intercessor, God, the one who delivers, God, our redeemer, through his son, Jesus Christ, and that we would be filled full with him this morning, and that we would come to the altar and truly worship him and let him fill us up with his love and his grace. Jesus traveled from Jerusalem down the east side into the King's Valley, which is known today as the Kidron Valley, and then up onto the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane, where he cried out for God to take the cup, where he looked over Jerusalem and said, Oh, how I long to gather them in as a mother hen gathers in her chicks. But the cup was not taken away. And Christ, in his longing to gather them in, paid that price for us. His body, broken for you and me. And sometimes we, we ask, how much grace? This is how much. Christ's blood shed for you and me. I wanted to share with you, dear body, before we go, that you have lived in the spirit of Melchizedek in, in the way that you've ministered to each other in times of trouble and hardship and financial difficulty and pain. And here's what's going on in our body that you need to know. This body is hurting with losses of jobs and and just, again, being hit hard in this economy. And, and we knew that was going to be part of the case. And the joy and the, the blessings that you have brought to our fellowship fund, which is a fund specifically to minister to this body, is, is just blessing many families. But it is being used up because there's great need. And so like we do with everything... We say, as God has purposed on your heart and as God would move you, continue to minister in the spirit of Melchizedek and care for this body in, in this time of difficulty. Show them that they are filled up and cared for by the Lord and how he meets their needs. And I also want to say thank you, truly. Thank you for listening to the Spirit. We are able as pastors and elders to minister to this body through these gifts, because of you and because of your obedience to what God has called on your heart. But I just felt like you need to know what's going on. Uh, it's a real deal. And some of you are going through it right now. And some of you have been blessed in abundance. And uh, ask God what he wants you to do with that. So we have our fellowship fund today as you go from this place. And again, as God lays on your heart, let's continue to minister to this body.
And as you go from this place to live out life in the Lord, I hope you will pray, Lord, where do you want me to step in? Do you want me to be the one to offer grace to this person? Do I need to come in and restore a fallen brother or sister? And let the Lord minister that to you. And let me tell you what, before you go do all of that, and as you go from this place, you got to eat at Mel's. you got to eat at Mel's, full of bread, life, wine, the joy of who God is and his abundance. And let us be the ones who receive this incredible hand, so much bigger than we ever thought, that he is our provision. Eat at Mel's and be filled full. God bless you guys. Have a good day in the Lord. Amen.